morning. Let me welcome you to North Wake as well. And uh, today we're going to be stepping out of our study of Matthew and we're going to be jumping into 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, that's where we're going to be today. Um, today is a very special day. It is a um, bittersweet day for me. Um, continually over the last um, almost 16 years now, I have poured my life into other people and they have left this place and gone other places. Not sure what that says about me, but, um, but with that said, there is a grieving process that happens every time. And there are, there is a longing for one day when we will all be seated around the table together for eternity but until then there's work to be done and so that's what we're going to do today we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul has a highly autobiographical section that he talks about his life and ministry but he also is encouraging the Corinthian church as well great application to the Corinthian church great application to every believer since then great application for us today so that's what we're going to do. So let's pray so we can cover a lot of ground and have a great celebration today. Lord Jesus, we need you. We were reminded yesterday, if we miss you, we miss everything. Last week, you poured out your spirit and you showed us that. And uh, Lord, we pray that that would continue today. For we know that without you, we are nothing. everything comes from you and is through you and is back to you for your glory so we pray lord that this day that would happen in this room we pray it in jesus name amen in his book the prodigal god tim keller uses the following illustrations he says the acclaimed foreign film three seasons is a serious series of vignettes about life in post-war vietnam one of the stories is about Hai, a cyclo driver, a bicycle rickshaw, and Lan, a beautiful prostitute. Both have deep, unfulfilled desires. Hai is the one is, is in love with Lan, and Lan lives in grinding poverty and longs to live in the beautiful world where she works. But she never, ever spends the night. She hopes that the money she makes by prostitution will be her means of escape, but instead the work brutalizes her and enslaves her. Then High enters a cyclo race and wins the top prize. With the money he brings land to the hotel, he pays for the night and pays for her fee. And then, to everyone's shock, he tells her he just wants to watch her fall asleep. Instead of using his power and wealth to have his way with her, he spends it to purchase a place for her for one night in a normal world to fulfill her desire to belong. And Land finds such grace deeply troubling at first, thinking that Han has done this so he can control her when it becomes apparent that he is using his power to serve rather than 
use her, it begins to transform her. Making it impossible to return to a life of prostitution. This great act of love changed everything for Lamb. Grace-filled, sacrificial love transforms whatever it touches. In a similar way, the Apostle Paul was transformed as he accepted how Christ served and died for him. Purchasing a place for him. He was unworthy of such love. Christ's selfless love destroyed his mistrust and it changed everything for him. In our text, Paul writes these words. For the love of Christ controls us because we have, conclu have concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The four at the beginning of this passage points back to the last verse that where Paul was basically saying, though he appeared sometimes beside himself or out of his mind, it has been for God. And if at times he seemed to be in his right mind, it was for the Corinthians. Nothing at this stage of the game of Paul's life was for Paul. It was either for God or for others, but it was not for him. Nothing could stay the same. Christ's love had changed everything about Paul. Every single thing. This was no sentimental thing. It controlled him. controls you this has been the haunting question for me the last couple weeks what really Jeff controls you a desire for escape like lamb desire to belong have a place maybe a desire for the love of another like Haas Maybe religious pride and self-righteousness like Saul. This love had been demonstrated to Paul by the one, the one, the one who died and was raised again for his people. Paul had experienced what it meant to be the object of Christ's love. Christ had died for the guilty. Christ had died under the curse. But he, there is, therein lies this amazing, amazing news. Christ did not die for his own sins, but for the sins of others, for your sins, for my sins, for Paul's sins. First Timothy 1, 13 through 17 
Paul writes this, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Paul sees his transformation, his conversion, Christ's redemption of his life, and he breaks out in doxology because he knows he's worthless. But Christ even died for him. Paul's experience of Jesus has turned his life inside out. Formerly, he lived for himself, even in great religious zeal. Now, he has died to all that. He's died to all of that. And he lives and is controlled by the one, as he understands it, who died and was raised again for him. What really controls you? The love of self is not transformative. It is a pollutant. It is toxic. And it is corrosive to your soul. However, the selfless grace, selfless grace-filled love of Jesus Christ can transform that. You see, apart from Christ, we are all dead in our transformation. Aggressions and sins. As true believers, though, we have no status apart from what we are in Christ. As a result of His grace, the grace of God in Christ, every Christian has been reconciled to God by identifying with Christ in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And all who have been saved have the same general calling in verse 15. Every one of us in this room who know Christ and are in Christ have the same calling to live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. As far as our standing before God, everyone in this room who believes on him have the same status in Christ. This is a game changer. Do you know what a game changer is? If you've ever watched a sporting event, there's usually a play at some point in time that the momentum of the whole game switches on. It may be as simple as a block, but it sprung an 80-yard touchdown run, and it was a game changer. See, this is a game changer. What Christ has done for you has to change your life. Or you do not believe. Doesn't mean you won't struggle. Doesn't mean you won't suffer. 
but it must change you. It did for Paul. It changed everything. It changed even the way he saw things. So in verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Here's one of the greatest stumbling blocks in our lives. We too often see Christ, others, and ourselves. Okay? Relationships, right? Main relationships in our lives. We often see them in fleshly ways through a wrong set of lenses. And Paul says, no, no, no. The love of Christ controls me. And therefore now I do not see any of these the same way. I look through completely different lenses. You see, Christ's love changes everything. It changes the way we regard Christ and our neighbor. Paul tells us Christ no longer can be seen as some rebellious religious leader who was killed. Some makeshift guru to simply be quoted or emulated. Christ's death and resurrection changes everything. He is the Messiah, the long-awaited deliverer, who would come for the sins of his people, die, who would be raised again from death to conquer the penalty of sin, redeeming his people and reconciling them to the Father. He is the lover of your soul. is the good and mighty king. It changes everything. Not only does it change the way we see Christ, it changes the way we see everyone else. We must see them redemptively now. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Paul says. And we must see them as Jesus does. His death, his resurrection are the lenses by which we are to view each other. You ready for a little corrective work? See how well you see? See, first of all, we have to see others as those for whom Christ died. In Romans 14, 5, Paul makes the argument that your freedom should not grieve your brother for whom Christ died. In other words, that brother and sister that you find fault with, Christ put a value so high on them that he was willing to suffer the horrors of the cross for them. They are of great value in Christ's eyes. Therefore, they ought to be in ours as well. Secondly, not only do we see them as the ones whom Christ has died, he is also, they are also the ones for whom Christ lives. Jesus confronted Paul on the Damascus Road in Acts 9, where he blinded Saul and then opened his eyes to some things. But here's what he confronted Paul with. Why do you persecute me? You 
see Paul's eyes were open to the relationship between Christ and his people, the church. They were one. They were his body. He was their head. Therefore, we cannot separate completely our attitudes toward Christ and his people. They are one. When you welcome one, you welcome the other. When you disregard one, you disregard the other. In light of the love of Christ, how do you regard Jesus? How do you regard others? More importantly, how do you regard yourself? You see, in verse 17, Paul says, if you are in Christ, your sinful nature does not define you. Your circumstances do not define you. What others think about you does not define you. Praise God, your past no longer defines you. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. It died with him. And behold, the new has come. It was raised with him. You were raised with Christ to live a new life. The one thing that I could never get over as a new believer was all the things I did prior to knowing Christ. There was a laundry list, a dirty laundry list that flowed through my head that Satan used to always trip me up to say, Jeff, you can't do that. You can't say that. Look what you did. This verse saved my life. Because every single time one of those little laundry list points came up, all I did in my mind was say, no, that was old Jeff, dead, buried. Behold, all things are new. I am a new creation. Therefore, I will praise him. I will say this in front of people, even those who knew me before. We see with new eyes today. Christ's love changes everything. He not only gives us a new life, he gives us a new purpose. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. All of this is from God. It's by grace you have been saved. Not by your works, not by what you do. It is all a gift of grace from God. Paul's love and zeal for God did not reconcile him to God, and neither does yours. God reconciles us to himself by Christ's death and resurrection, no longer counting our trespasses against us. And Paul points then to the fact that not only was his reconciliation an act of grace, so was this ministry he had been given. God had entrusted this ministry and message of reconciliation to Paul and to the church. 
The means of God's reconciliation is Christ. But God uses his people to implement it in the world. The church has been given a mission and a purpose. One of the first things that we talked about as church planning residents is we don't come up with a new mission. We have a mission. It's been given to us by the head of the church, who is Christ. Not the elders of this church, not the elders of the new churches we're going to plant. We have been given one mission. We can articulate it in a lot of different ways. We've been given one mission, and that is to herald the message of Jesus Christ and to reconcile people who are enemies of God to God through Christ. That's it. It's not rocket science. You don't have to redefine it. God has given us that purpose and that mission. At any time, if we falter as the church in believing the truth of the gospel as it's passed down to us from the apostles and engaging the ministry of reconciliation, we will abdicate the glorious position and purpose that Christ gave us. Christ's love changes everything. Not only how we are to live, we are to see others, but the purpose of our entire existence changes. We are to be God's glory, to carry God's very message of love and reconciliation to those who are living as his enemies. Therefore, he says in the next verse, in verse 20, because of that, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. as his one glory and his one task is the office of ambassador of Christ. Paul regarded himself as commissioned by Jesus Christ for the work of the church. His apostolic ministry and that which he has passed down to the church was to be ambassadorial. We are ambassadors of the good and mighty king, you and I. We are representative aliens in a foreign land. And we look weird. This is not our home. An ambassador of the United States is an American living in a foreign land. He looks weird. He spends his life among people who speak different languages and who have different traditions and different cultures. The Christian is always like that. He lives in this world. He takes part in all of the life and work of this world. But he is a citizen of heaven. To that extent, he is an alien living in a foreign land. Church, our good and mighty King Jesus has called us out. He has showed us great love. And he has sent us out to make the invisible visible to bring the realities of his kingdom to bear upon our world on a daily basis to be his church in this time in this place 
So I join Paul and implore you people on his behalf to be reconciled to God, to proclaim to them what? What are we to proclaim to others? That Christ, for our sake, for theirs, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be there, be sin for them. So that in him they, we, might become the righteousness of God. Christ's love has changed everything. He has made a way for the unrighteous to become righteous. The real question today is this. Has Christ's love changed you? And you? And you? This imagery is so helpful for us today. As we look to commission two new church plants, Ed Stetzer writes this, when you plant churches, wherever they may be, you are establishing an embassy whose purpose is to propagate the good news of the king from another kingdom. This is what it means to live sent, he says. It means that Christ has given us as the church a transforming mission, one that is to transform us as it did Paul, so that we can bring the ministry of reconciliation to new places. We are joining with Christ in sending ambassadors and establishing new embassies for the king. That's what we're doing today. That's why Paul, in the first couple of verses of chapter 6, says this. Working together with him. Do you hear that? Working together. Corinthian church, Northwake church, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I will listen. I will listen. I listen to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way. That's our job. To join together, together as the body of Christ, with Christ, to bring about salvation. Two people, today. Today's the day. It's the favorable day. Christ has visited us. He has brought salvation to us. Everything has changed. So with that said, I'm going to invite the church planning residents, now soon to be elders of these new churches down front. Um, as elders, we have spent years with these families. We have equipped, we've assessed, we've affirmed, we've prayed over, we've cried with, we've laughed with. We have pretty much enjoyed life uh, for a long time with them. These aren't people who we just decided six months ago we would send out to lead churches. These are men and women who have trained up in our congregation for years. I think the first church planning conversation I had with Brian Cahoot was a probably seven years, eight years ago. I don't know how long ago. It was a long time long time we sent Ed out he came back 
send him out again and see if it sticks, okay? Listen, we love and know these people. The church doesn't send out just anybody. We have all agreed as elders, this is our best. And though we would love to hold on to them and love for them to be here and love to fellowship with them day in and day out, it is better for the kingdom for them to leave. And so as this time of leaving swiftly approaches, there are six paradoxes that Paul throws out in, in chapter 6 a little later that I want to use as, as our uh, commissioning of you today. And because <laughs> the time is swiftly approaching that people are going to look, like, look at you and they're going to see some truthful things and then you're going to look like a fool. Okay, and you probably have already been told that. And the world around you is going to think you're crazy. Um, but Paul says, you know, those things are true, but they're not the whole truth. They're not the main point. And that's what he gets at in verses 9 and 10. And so let me lay this out before you. Paul says, you see us as unknown, and yet we are well known. You are nobodies tiny movement of nobodies following a crucified risen king and the world may not know you ever you may not be the popular pastor on Christianity today you may not be known by any of us but you are known by the king he goes on to say you see us as unknown um, as dying but behold, we live. It is true. You will be called to die every day as elders and leaders in the church. You may be imprisoned, persecuted. You may be even killed. But we are crucified daily with Christ so that we might live. Because Christ is our life. And he was raised from the dead, and he will raise you also. You see us as punished, and yet we are not killed. You will endure many human punishments, and even much fatherly discipline from the Lord. But over and over, God will spare you from death, and he will spare you until your work is done. You see us as sorrowful, yet we are always rejoicing. There are going to be great dark nights of sorrow. The reality of sin in those you love and in your own hearts will give you countless reasons for your heart to break. But even in that, we do not cease to rejoice because Christ has conquered sin and the grave. So we will rejoice. We will rejoice in suffering. And we will rejoice in celebration. You see us as poor. Yet we are being made rich. Church planning is not a get rich scheme. 
if that's what you're in it for, it's time to jump ship. But Pastor John Piper says this, we do not live to get rich on things. We live to make people rich on Jesus. Lastly, Paul says, you see us as having nothing, yet possessing everything. In one sense, you have counted everything as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. But in fact, you are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. To every Christian, Paul says, all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. The main truth is this. You must be controlled by the love of Christ. fulfill your ambassadorial role for Christ. Now, we don't send just these people out by themselves. We also love to send the church to be the church. With all of its talents, all of its resources, and these two groups have people that are going with them. And these are not just anybody. These are folks that have been here for years and decades and have pulled considerable weight at this church. And they are going to be hugely missed, which means the rest of you are going to have to step up the game. Because these folks have been leading and telling you to come on. And so they're not going to be here anymore, so we're going to need new people to do the same. So if you're a part of their core team and you're planning to go with them and committed to that, um, will you please come down and circle around these folks? And the elders, if you will, will come as well. Um, Daniel's going to lead us. Congregation, will you rise? Let's stand together.